vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs were often adapting to a new reality. This new podcast series from Vegan Mainstream is an opportunity to help you when it's time to pivot. These interviews will come from inside and outside of our community, and I hope as your host, Stephanie Redcross West, I can inspire you and give you the tools that you need to move forward. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next interview. I'm excited today because we're going to be talking about vegan accounting. I know for many of you, you're probably like, vegan accounting? And I'm like, yes, I'm excited about it. And I'm sure by the end of this podcast and this video, we're going to have you excited as well. Because one of the things that I think many of us forget as either individuals who are going vegan or thinking about the vegan movement, we often think about food businesses. We often think about ways to bring our veganism kind of into the light and mirror or bring our careers together. We often think about the food side of it. But there's so many types of businesses that many of us can create because of not only our expertise, but the movement needs us as well. And when you think about a vegan accountant, it is an absolute must because many of us who are entrepreneurs, and I know a lot of you who are listening are entrepreneurs, you need support. And you need people who can support your business that understand your mission, understand why you do what you do and the choices that you make, especially from a financial standpoint. So having a vegan accountant with you on that journey, I think is really, really key. And I'm so excited today that we have one today to talk about what it's like to build this type of business, what it's like to bring these things together and discover that this is a great way to, you know, move forward in a career um, as a vegan. So before I steal all the thunder (laughs) from today, let me just say, welcome, welcome, Keith. It's wonderful to have you here with us. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So I want to give people a little background. I want to definitely give people a sense of your business. I had some chance to jump on your website, check everything out. So I have some good background, but maybe do you want to give people a sense of, you know, A, what you do and how did you realize that, you know, it made sense that your career, your alignment of your veganism went through this kind of financial path, this idea of being a vegan accountant? Yeah, yeah. So to start with, uh, Lesser & Co. Uh, Chartered Accountants in the UK, formed in eight, 1988 by my father. And then effectively, I've, you know, I've been part of, part of our family business for the last 12 years. Fast forward, I became personally vegan in 2017. Started off with What the Health documentary, probably typical sort of story, and then um, actually watched that strangely on an airplane downloaded it on our on the way to our honeymoon and then ended up on honeymoon uh, me and my wife in cyprus and the vegan options were absolutely terrible so only really went properly vegan when we came up from honeymoon mind you after watching what the health i never ate meat ever again (laughs) so anyway then fast forward that was 2017 so fast forward to 2020 what I was finding in um, our accounting business, you know, my connections and my relationships were becoming more and more involved with the vegan community. Started getting clients, you know, vegan businesses, local vegan cafe, that sort of thing. Um, and actually, Idan, who, um, you know, used to run this local vegan cafe, he was quite a big 
influence on me in kind of the six months into me becoming vegan. So yeah, then uh, that, that was kind of the first three years of my vegan new lifestyle. The business side was was kind of converging with that. And then 2020, what happened was, so Vegan Accountants in the UK was actually an existing brand set up by someone else in 2017, but she was looking to exit that business. We met and then she said, look, I'm moving abroad. And then I said, okay, well, look, I'll, I'll basically take this over and um, take over the brand. So we retained our existing family business in Gann for 35 years. But what's been happening effectively in the last three years is I've been kind of merging that with with my vegan journey. So it's not a case of said to all of our clients that we've worked with for 30 years, oh, sorry, goodbye. You know, it was more a case of, right, let's bring all the let's bring all the vegan businesses on board. So now it's kind of got to the stage now where around in our in our total business, around 10% of the clients are vegan, but you know, we've got 600 clients. So so actually that's been quite a big growth kind yeah. of change for us and I quite like the concept of that from the point of view that obviously I'm you know when I'm on LinkedIn and doing social media and everything I'm kind of displaying veganism and I quite like the idea that all the non-vegan people that I know are sort of coming to me and saying oh okay what's all this veganism about you know I think I know I know there's some kind of uh, differing trains of thought on this and maybe we can explore this further but I've always taken the view that if you say you're only working exclusively with vegan businesses and not looking to kind of have relationships with non-vegan businesses and influencing them, you know, personally, I don't think that's the way to go because what's going to happen is you just, you know, it's not going to help build the community up. And I always think, okay, well, if you had said to me 10 years ago, you'll be vegan, I never would have believed it. But obviously now it's like a massive part of my life. So I'm always very focused on, thinking about the vegans of tomorrow and um, taking it from that point of view, really. Absolutely. Now, I definitely think we have a little bit difference of opinion on some businesses I do think can serve a vegan audience or mostly vegan audience. Because even when I like started and I started our business kind of, I mean, I started so long ago, this is before, you know, so much has happened in the movement. You know, a lot of my initial clients were, you know, one day vegan, meaning... (laughs) They just decided they were vegan, so they weren't really that far away from from being being a non-vegan. And it was interesting because many of them were trying to discover their journey, how do they name their business, what do they do, um, and so forth. So I definitely think there's space for different types of businesses because as we're moving kind of the movement forward, some people need all different types of avenues to get in. Some people need someone who's a vegan and they're like, you're going 100% vegan or that's it, you know, where some people are like, you got to take it one step at a time. And then some people are maybe a different transition path. So I, I really feel like as far as the diversity of businesses out there, we need businesses on all fronts. Some that are all vegan, some that are non-vegan, some that are, you know, non-vegan and servicing, because the reality is we have to become a part of the fabric of life. Like that's why I get into this whole vegan mainstream thing is because for us to be mainstream, we have to just exist and be there. You know, it's, it isn't so much that um, we're trying to put our flag in the ground and say, hey, only vegans only. It's that, you know, even when I was in corporate America, the idea is that 
um, you know, we have to be at the table, we have to be the leaders in the organization, we have to be the accountants, we have to be people who, you know, do all walks of life vegan. And in that way, people can connect with us in so many different ways, whether it's directly in our business, or like you're saying, you can influence people because, you know, they're working with you directly from an accounting standpoint, and then they see a post and they're like, can I get that recipe? Because that can be a way that they can move forward. So I'm really glad that to hear that you have a kind of balance of client. And I think it's so impressive when you say that 10% of your clients are vegan. It's amazing to see that growth and see how much you've been able to really bring on that kind of avenue and really turn that into something viable. Yeah, you know, the accountant industry in the in the UK, I mean, I can talk more generally about business as well, but for, from an accountancy point of view, I think it's very important that the quality is there. You know, I've said that before on other podcasts I've done and stuff, because I don't think it's actually that helpful to, you know, if you're a vegan professional, if if you're not very good at what you do. I mean, you know, people say, oh, I want to work with vegans. That's great. But if someone's not delivering strong business results for you, Absolutely. whether they're vegan or not, well, they're not helping you. Like if, if your, your business ultimately has to succeed. So, you know, I'll actually put quality really at the forefront of everything we do. And I think as an established business, that's really helped us because, I felt that I had something that was working and high quality and then adding the ethics on, that's all very good. What, you know, I, I see a lot of and I don't I don't think it's good for anyone really is, you know, the vegan aspect is fantastic, but people really need to focus on the quality of their profession and what they're doing and deliver that as well. So I think that it's complicated, but I think the choice of supplier is not always that straightforward i think the ethics is very important but you know if you choose someone purely based on ethics and they do a rubbish job for you and then ultimately your business suffers or fails that doesn't help anything you know so we have to kind of navigate all these different elements absolutely and i really think you know being a vegan is one aspect of it i think sometimes the reason we focus on it is just because the world has been lacking in having these services and having someone who can understand that ethical side of things. But just like you said, I mean, obviously the services have to be on par and the services have to be something that delivers results. But I think it's also a piece of it. You know, some people are going to work with me because of my background, because I've been in corporate America. Some people are going to work with me because I grew up in having a family business. So when you said that earlier, that's a connection. And I'm sure the same for you. A lot of times when people are choosing a service, they're not just choosing it from one dimension. What they're looking for is that there's some common ground and understanding of their business and what they're trying to do. And when you have that kind of mix, that's where a person understands that, yes, you have the skills, but also that you can understand how my business works and move it forward. And so that there can be more of a partnership around, especially things like accounting and financials. And maybe this is also just my background from, you know, doing some financial auditing and, and, and stuff like that when I was in corporate America, that the more that there is a collaborative effort, you know, I, I'm sure you've had the clients that are like, you know, here's a shoebox of, recipe, of receipts, you go <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> That's yeah, one yeah. way to do it. But the more that, you know, there is that collaborative effort and that people see you know, in the person or the organization that they're choosing that everyone kind of has that same best interest in, in heart. 
and understands the vision, I really think it creates this unique bond. Um, and I think, like you said, veganism is kind of that extra piece on top. The core has to be the services. Yeah. And what, what you said about connections, very interesting. And I think flipping it slightly from a, you know, client, flyer, customer dynamic, what I think is quite interesting is from a team point of view internally, you know, and a retention point of view, because I look at it now, about a third of our overall workforce is vegan, but, you know, that's from nothing really. So now we're up to five team members. And I think that's important, you know, part of the attraction, I guess, from my colleagues' point of view that are vegan, you know, is that they get to work with other vegan businesses as well. So I kind of see that as part of our mission and part of our image. And I think it's important as well. I can say to the clients, well, look, you get a vegan experience because you're not just dealing with me, you're, getting, you're dealing with um, other vegan colleagues. But just to flip it, what's quite interesting as well is sometimes the customers, you know, they're not always that honest with you. And you can't hide from the accountant. That's the only thing. So I mean, I don't, I don't mind if people say to me, oh, I'm on my journey, whatever. But, you know, we've had clients, uh, at least a couple, you know, which is um, w- w- was troubling for us. You know, they, they came to us and said, oh, you know, we're vegan and everything. And they tell the world they're vegan. And then, like, we see the receipts and they're going to state restaurants or whatever, or they're buying meat in the supermarket. We kind of go, what is going on here? And, like... I'm not offended by people eating meat that aren't vegan or whatever, because there's so many people like that and everyone's on their journey. And obviously I don't want that to happen, but it doesn't offend me. But I, I, you know, we do. And my colleagues, you know, they're offended because these people telling the world they're vegan. And then obviously it's all sort of a fabrication. And I don't know, that's like greenwashing on a different level to me anyway. And that's wild. You know, it, it surprises me that there are a good amount of people that do that. And like you said, when you can, as they say, when you, when you got the receipts, <laughs> you can see <laughs> the truth behind it. Um, so that is, I'm really, I'm sure it's really shocking to see and can be a challenging situation to be in when you're seeing that, you know, the reality behind the scenes of, you know, what people are eating. And also, I think it's also, I'm, I'm assuming there's probably some aha moments as well when you think about the holistic side of even being vegan. You know, when people think about compassion and what they do and how they run their business. I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes I even experience this through my business coaching and marketing and so forth, that someone will come up with a marketing idea. And I'm like, I don't think that aligns with the ethics that you told me are the brand. Like, yes, I know someone online has done that marketing tactic, but that marketing tactic, there's a reason they call it black hat. Like there's a reason why they call it. And I sometimes will have to talk to my clients and say, you know, how do all these choices you make, do they really do align with your brand? Have you ever had that experience as well, where when you look at the inner workings of someone's business, whether it's how they compensate people, whether it's how they pay, like not paying people on time, you know, things like that, that are surprising that there's that conflict between the brand image and their brand practices. Yeah, I mean, people, some businesses, they put to, put across like a really strong vegan brand on their socials and everything. But, you know, when it comes to kind of getting a bang for your buck, like where's the budget going? You drill into it and you have a conversation. I hear things like, oh, well, vegan businesses don't have money. 
you know, they're too small for us, this kind of thing. I don't like that sort of thing because, all right, you can choose if you don't want to work with business that's too small for you. That's fine. But don't say there's none out there. Like, how hard have you actually looked? And I think sometimes people take the shortcut. It's just easier to go to the mass market and then kind of leave your mission a little bit at the door, you know? I mean, no, look, we're not perfect. There's, there's you know, size to everything, you know? But I, I just see that too much conversations I'm having with clients, and that disappoints me a little bit. I mean, one thing we, we did, which I thought was really successful, is we've done a little bit with, like, the big vegan festivals in the UK. So we've done a couple so far, VegFest, which was in Olympia last November, and then... VegFest Brighton, that's just happened a couple of weeks ago. We supported both of those events and, you know, I've never done anything like that before, but we tried it and it was worthwhile. So I want to kind of take that as a case study to other vegan businesses and say, well, look, you can put your marketing budgets into these vegan streams and get success from it because, you know, I don't, yeah, like I said, I just don't like that soundbite. It's a bit like uh, people say, oh, these businesses aren't big enough for me or whatever, you know, and yeah, I don't like that, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a good point. Plus, I think, I don't know if you agree with this statement, but it's been interesting to me, even looking at businesses, monitoring businesses and understanding businesses is, you know, when you look at the financial side of a business, it looks very different sometimes than what it looks like in the market. How successful that business is, what their true profit is, because there are businesses that bring in a ton of money, but they spend just as much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're making whatever 500000 but they're, they're spending 450000 So they're, they're essentially a $50,000 business. And that's very similar to a business that brings in 100000 and spends 50000 You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's a, it can be the same net. So sometimes I do think it's interesting and in how important the numbers are and how important it is to have an accountant on your side is because sometimes when we're thinking about profit or how big the business is, like you said, sometimes it's how we approach our businesses. It's really making sure we hunker down and understand our financials. We monitor them and we know what does drive a profit in our business and what's what's causing the great spend in our business. I don't know. Have you have you experienced that? Do you have a lot of like sit down chats with your clients and kind of say, hey, I don't know if you see this trend, but this is where you're spending your money. And we could, you might be able to turn your business around if you reassessed some of these expenses. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And the other thing, you know, I don't mind saying we're running a business ourselves. We've got, you know, quite a few employees, over a million turnovers. So I can articulate certain things to clients about, you know, their businesses as well. But I think, I think there's two things I would just say quickly on that. One, the clients know the businesses better than, you know, the industry better than I do because they're doing it every day. But the other thing that's interesting as an accountant, actually, because I have hundreds of conversations with hundreds of different businesses and I'm kind of absorbing all that knowledge as a sponge and everything. So when I speak to people, I kind of feel like it's not a one-on-one. I almost feel like I've got all this knowledge and experience from hundreds of different businesses and I'm bringing that all to one thing. And then I'm articulating that to one of our customers, you know. And then sometimes people disagree with me. And I sort of, I'm not put out by it, but I kind of think you can't look at this as like a one-on-one thing. You've got to look at this as 
I should be listening a bit more because there's so much knowledge and experience there available to me. But that I've always find that a little bit surprising. But yeah, thankfully most people do value the advice and uh, take on board. <laughs> that is good to hear. We had um, someone stop by and just say greetings and talk about how important it. How about you know having an accountant is something that they uh, need to do. So thanks for stopping by. But I thought maybe one thing that we comment on just based on this comment is, you know, when do you think people should reach out and get an accountant? You know, a lot of people, when they're in the early stages of their business, they're thinking, well, I'm not making enough money yet. Or I, you know, am working on other things. Maybe I get an accountant when I get to A, B, and C. Like, when do you think a person should ultimately say, I need to get an accountant on board and I'm ready to go this direction. Well, it's got the earlier the better, really. I mean, day one, preferably, or prior to starting up. Yeah, short answer. But the earlier you can get all the advice and uh, benefit from all the knowledge, the better, really. If an accountant does go down that route, because lots of accountants they just they just do the data entry and the submissions. So you know, really, you want an accountant who's got that business focus as well. Yeah, the difference kind of between that bookkeeping versus more of the the accounting side of things oh and another great comment came in you know the difference between having an accountant versus having accounting software because i think a lot of us think that we have it covered because we got some software <laughs> in yeah. place um and there's a very very big difference i don't know if you want to comment on that or you have any thoughts about that yeah as well. well they don't really help us out like into quickbooks and these kind of companies because the radio adverts just make it sound like you push a button and that's it you know but um rarely come across a client who does their own bookkeeping software and then you say oh well does the bank tie up they don't know what you're talking about and then you look into it and you say well all the transactions are missing or they've gone to the wrong code and all this sort of thing so I mean bookkeeping is quite a difficult skill really it takes years to master so I I just generally encourage um, customers you know to leave that to the experts really i mean you do get the odd customer that can do their bookkeeping okay but i just question if it's the best use of their time really absolutely yeah i think that's also the key a lot of times is where should we be focused and when do you bring in the expert um, to help so let's tap into maybe some of your expertise i know you're in the uk i know we have people all over the place listening to this podcast and watching this but do you have any tips anything that as small business owners, as anyone who's either starting their business or running their business that they should be aware of or be thinking about, um, especially when we're thinking about the accounting size of our business? Well, I think at the beginning, you've got a unique opportunity, but, you know, think about the future, think about the scalability of it, because very easy day one to think, okay, how do I get to my first 100,000 turnover, for example, then you set your pricing on that, but then suddenly you think, oh, well, what happens when I take on employees or I want to do this? And then it's not scalable. And then effectively, all you've done is create a job for yourself, which could be great. If that's your objective, that's fine. But if you want to really grow a business and grow a team, you, you have to think about your pricing from the beginning. You can't price too low. Uh, it's quite hard then you're selling a product at a certain level. Um, so you build up, a, uh, build up a law following I'm suddenly going to increase my prices by 50%. It doesn't really work. So you've got to have that value from the beginning and really think how you can scale up. Again, in the UK, you know, we've got VAT thresholds as well. So you've got 
bring that thinking in right from day one, think, okay, I, I'm below the threshold now in the UK is 85,000 annual turnover. But what happens when I go above that? You can't just suddenly think, oh, I've got a VAT register. Oh, my profit margins disappeared. I've got really increased my prices. And then the, the customers aren't happy with the new price, you know? Yeah, it's tricky. Uh, we were in, I was just on a call right before here and we were talking about prices and so forth. The person who's visiting right now, I won't say your full name just because you have your handle on here, blind um, guy, um, his wife and life. We were talking about this and actually someone even asked me a question about, you know, doing travel and so forth. How much of that can you do as a tax write-off? And I think for a lot of people, they just don't have clarity around the value of their offering, the value of what they're they're putting out there. You know, there's some sometimes emotional burden or barriers, I would probably say, to setting a higher price. And what I often say is setting a true fair price. Mm -hmm. And those emotional barriers sometimes allow us to price our products too low and price them at a point where they don't really have the expenses tied out. They don't really aren't, we aren't looking at it to say, okay, yeah, I want to do an online course. Great. But to do an online course, you have to cover the online course software. To do an online course, you have to cover transaction fees. And because all credit cards come with a transaction fee, whatever your price is, you're going to make less than, like in the U.S., it's traditionally 3% less. And you have to understand that that money is a real cost of doing business. And I think helping people see that, helping people look at the numbers and understand the numbers has been one thing that we even do sometimes in our coaching and we talk about a lot. And even sometimes I tell people, hey, there's nothing wrong with having a, you know, a product that's an entry-level product, but always have your second tier product because the entry-level product, sometimes people aren't willing to invest at that higher level. But there are people who value sometimes a product that's priced correctly. You know, if it's too cheap, they're kind of like, well, maybe the service isn't that good or the product isn't that good. So price elasticity is a really art form, but I often teach people to, you know, they have to understand their expenses and they also have to spend time in the market talking to customer and understanding their true value that they're offering. Yeah. And I mean, an in a funny thing in the UK, I, I don't, many people don't look at it like this, but say, you know, say I'm pricing something up for our business maybe I'll price a job at a thousand pounds. Okay, well I've got to put VAT on that. So the customer sees a bill for twelve hundred. VAT goes to the government, that's two hundred pounds. You've got corporation tax, that's gonna be twenty five percent. I've got to pay um I've got my overheads thirty percent. I've got to pay my team. If I want to take anything personally from that, I've got to pay personal tax on that as well. So out of that twelve hundred pounds, taxes might be end up being about 800 pounds you know and then you think well what's left at the end of it I probably made one or 200 pounds on the job so it's completely different to how people see an invoice or whatever and I mean tax is just a massive amount I mean I don't know how much it is in the US but really increasing in the UK. Absolutely um, it's not the exact same breakdown but absolutely the taxes um, in the US you have self-employment tax which is very, very high and very significant. And most people don't put away money for these taxes. You know, a lot of times, especially in the U.S., when a lot of people are self-employed or in the U.S., we, you know, do these like LLCs and so forth. I know you have something similar to that in the U.K., but, you know, people kind of assume that, oh, the taxes and the money will just work out in the end. 
And then they have like a great year, like the successful year. And then they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I owe 12,000, 15,000, 20,000 in taxes. And I'm like, yeah. you, you have to know, you know these numbers in advance. These are not really surprise numbers because yeah. they're reoccurring. They're very standard every year. So I find for a lot of people, and I don't know if you do this as well, sometimes I put together a little Excel spreadsheet for them. And I tell them, hey, type in the price that you're charging. Then we set the percentages. You know, how much is this tax? How much is overhead? How much is marketing? You know, just little percentages. And yeah. then I break yeah. it down for them so they can see it because it's hard for them to visualize it. Like you said, they see the invoice of 1200 they're not really seeing, well, how does that 1200 break down and giving them a spreadsheet tool so that they can see how those numbers break down and the reality that, you know, what you're left with may only be between 10 to 30% of what you brought in gives them a true aha moment. And I don't, I don't know if you've done that or how, how you do that with your clients as well. Well, there's a couple of things. We, we advise uh, budgeting, you know, having different so advocate a business saver account and then effectively moving the tax money into the business saver account and then you get a bit of interest on it and it doesn't get mixed up with your current account so you know you've got the money aside for the tax so that that's one aspect um the other thing i, I was going to mention an example where basically a client came to see me yesterday he had a little side hustle going and he invoiced twelve thousand, and he'd done his own taxes and he said basically his tax had come to twelve thousand. So. He, he was amazed that basically been charged 100% of what he'd done. I mean, he'd made a mess of his account, but that was effectively correct because what HMRC do in the UK is they make you pay a year up front on your taxes. So that was effectively two years worth of taxes he was being charged. So he basically made nothing. <laughs> so I said I could redo that for him and get him a better result. But yeah, it just shows uh, what can happen really. Absolutely. And especially in the U.S., it's state to state. Like, so when I started my company, I started in California. And California, same idea. You almost pay a certain amount to start and file in the state. And that is against your taxes for the year. So if you make less than that, it's still, at the time, it was like $600 to say, for example. So if I made, if I made no money that year, I still paid $600 in taxes in a sense. But if I owed $800 in taxes, then the idea is I would only have to pay an additional $200. But every state's different. I've registered in the state of Georgia. I've registered my business in the state of Florida. And the taxes and the rates and everything are very different. So it's so interesting when you think about taxes and running a business and what your profit will look like if you don't do the due diligence or get an accountant like yourself up front you may not understand kind of how that works. And that's just state taxes. I've even, you know, then you have federal taxes on, st- on top of that in the U.S., But the idea of, you know, that stacking of taxes and understanding that outlook, I think is really key. So I guess my final question for you is, how do you help people with tax planning? Because that's even one thing that I'm spending more time on now is like I would set aside money because I knew, you know, generally X percent is what I pay in taxes. But now I'm starting to spend more time on planning. When I have big purchases, I know I have coming up or I'm making big investments or if I'm bringing on new team members and things like that, which will be a totally different, you know, tax either expense for me or potential process, whether we're, you know, moving into like in the U.S. employer versus contract. How do you help people through that tax planning phase? And do you feel like people should be 
doing more tax planning as opposed to what I find most entrepreneurs, especially small business owners do, is they just over on the tax paying side. They just wait until it's time to pay, they pay, and then they ignore it until they have to pay again. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've got kind of a, a line of a service line, which we call virtual finance director. It sounds a bit fancy, but effectively it's regular meetings with clients. It's a conversation. It's all about having that closeness of relationship. I mean, you talked about tax planning. I think it links back to uh, two things, really. It's the business objectives and the personal objectives. I mean, the business, in a way, should kind of wash its face from the point of view that, you know, separate legal entity as a business, and then, you know, that makes profit and is specifically on the business. I think where people get a bit muddled is if there's too much confusion between the business and personal, but they need to be kept separate. But then where where we really, I think, come into our own with the relationships we have with the customers is on the personal tax planning. And it's really then linked back to, well, what does that person want to achieve? You know, basic one, what sort of house are they looking to get or upgrade to? You know, that kind of thing. And it's really working them backwards. Well, what do they need to draw out of business to kind of facilitate that dream? And and how do we make that happen? And how do we keep the taxes down? So as long as we kind of know the destination, that's the key thing, really. I mean, the nightmare scenario is that conversation doesn't happen someone kind of pulls all the money out of from their business or whatever, like bankrupts business pretty much. And then, you know, you're just left in this nightmare tax scenario. So, I mean, that can happen. But the key thing is just the relationship and the conversation, really. Yeah. And having that conversation all year round. I think that was a good point about the comment someone just made about, you know, they were curious about how you help with tax planning and how your business advise customers. So they just said, thank you for that, that detailed answer. But I, I love the fact that you're saying that this conversation needs to happen all year round. We need to be talking about it. We need to be collaborating. We need to be planning, um, not just, you know, prepping for the next tax filing. We need to be um, in constant communication. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much in real time, you know, at least on a quarterly basis conversation. Obviously, it depends on the size of the business and, again, what the objectives are and kind of the amount of tax people are paying. But, yeah, anything kind of. 100 grand a year turnover up, probably going to need a regular conversation about the tax, really. Perfect, perfect. So I kept you on a little bit longer because we were talking about a, a lot of different topics. But as we kind of wrap up our session today, is there anything that you want to share with people, especially anyone who's got some anxiety around taxes, anxiety around the financials? I know a lot of times, you know, we have a lot of sometimes bad relationships with money. And because of that, it can creep into our, um, you know, willingness to engage in these conversations. Do you have any recommendations or advice for anyone out there who is kind of struggling with the financial side, either of their business or um, hasn't made that jump into reaching out and getting an accountant? Well, I think if you have anxiety about it, it's a good thing to delegate. You know, that's the whole point. Just focus on what you're good at. Um, it all comes back to having that abundance and growth mindset, you know try and do everything yourself and think oh I'll save a save a little bit on this um well also is someone even capable of doing their accounts I suppose it depends on the structure of the business and the submission requirements I mean in the UK sole traders probably okay if, if someone's small but limited company you definitely need an accountant anyway so yeah 
they don't have anxiety, just just pass it to an expert. I mean, finding the right expert and, you know, obviously the veganism comes into it as well. We've not mentioned that for a while, but obviously then the relationship, the connection and the expertise, that's where I think it all fits together, really. Absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah, I think it's so key to talk about how it's important to get those connections, to build that trust, because the reality is, you know, with businesses being in business for years, this should be a relationship with your, you know, your accountant is something that grows over time. You're, you know, you're working with a person, like you said, depending on their objectives, you're working with them to achieve that objective. And that objective may be one year, two years, even three years from now. So I definitely think it's so important to choose wisely. I think it's so important to choose someone who's an expert in your space. But I also think it's so important to find people who are aligned with your mission and your goal and, you know, having someone like yourself for people to select as a vegan accountant, I think is is key and can really help a lot of businesses, um, you know, achieve their ultimate goals. So just one final piece. What keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? Because we all have a ton on our plates. Um, you talked about having, you know, 600 clients um, and I know you have a team to help you with it. But how do you stay motivated? How do you stay focused and how do you persevere, you know, even through, you know, through it all? Well, I think one key element for me in the last three years or so um, made a bit of a step change is is to, you know, I've always kind of had this attitude of working smarter, not harder, but um, actually looking to reduce our client base um, organically, you know, just with kind of better quality, better compatible type of clients that we want to work with. Um, you know, that's my mindset, really. And, you know, I've, I've got this business profile. I don't know if you've heard of Talent Dynamics, but my profile is a mechanic. And, uh, you know, with regards to that approach, it's, it's tweaking process and it's improving, you know, the balance, the process and, uh, you know, the types of customers we're working with, really. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's key is knowing who and in making those changes, especially in businesses that have been out there for a while. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for hanging out a little bit longer with me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, um, I, I better go uh, spend some time with my family now. So. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So thanks so much. I hope today's session has inspired many of you to consider an accountant and even also consider a vegan accountant. Whether you're in the UK, definitely reach out to Keith. But if you're not, definitely seek it out because I think it's so important to find someone, as we've been talking about, that has that connection, understands your business, and also brings the skills to the table. Um, Keith, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best website, email address, social media accounts that they could um, reach out to? Yeah, so veganaccountants.co.uk and then uh, yeah, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn as well. Perfect. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, everyone who joined us live. So great to see Debbie. So great to see La Quinta. It's great to see you as well. And everyone else who joined us live. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're watching this as a recorded session or listening to this as our podcast, if you have follow-up questions for ourselves or Keith, reach out to Keith directly or pop it in the comments and we will make sure it gets back to him. But we really hope today maybe lessen some of the anxiety you might be having or helped you kind of see the path forward and understand not only the value of having an accountant in your business, but also having a vegan accountant by your side. So thank you everyone. And we will see you in our next interview. Take care. Thanks for listening to Pivot. 
our vegan business interview podcast. This is recorded as a live streaming session. So I hope you'll join us for future interviews as well. We offer these interviews to help vegan entrepreneurs stay connected with the vegan business community. If you're interested in more in-depth insights or training, please consider subscribing to one of our premium podcasts, Going Solo or Fix It. Visit veganmainstream.com to learn more or click on the links in the show notes.